We are in the midst, or coming near the end, actually, of a series of messages called His Great Name. And uh, this is part three this morning. And uh, today we're going to focus on the symbolic names of God, and I'm going to explain why uh, it's, it's called that in a moment. But I've been trying to think of the uh, proper intro to this message today about His Great Name. His Name is so great, and we just want to uh, talk a bit about that. We've, we've been talking about it, and I want to continue to talk about that today. Uh, what I'm starting to see is that these messages are important to me uh, because our world is becoming increasingly muddied. I found myself reading a few uh, news articles this week, uh, and just well, it, just observing a few things that were going on, and uh, a few thoughts came to my mind. First off, if we only consider the words of man, think about that. If we only consider the words of man, the word of God will become more and more distant from our minds. That's what happens when we only consider the words of man. You see, we live in interesting times. Uh, there was an evangelist who was in England this last week for an evangelistic crusade. Uh, their staff was met with hostility towards their cause, towards the event that they were doing. They were just running uh, invite invitation services where there'd be music played and there'd be the gospel preached. It wasn't anything uh, fancy by any means. But people in the community uh, in England campaigned against the evangelist who was speaking and his opportunity to speak by commissioning the town to cancel the event. Uh, this was because of his, uh, because of the evangelist's political viewpoints, uh, and the truth is, some of his viewpoints aren't that different from my own. And I got thinking about it: How would I feel if there was a campaign against uh, stopping me from speaking when we're just trying to preach God's word? Uh, just uh, Friday night, uh, just two nights ago, in Hamilton, there was a sold-out apologetic event with two thousand people having purchased tickets in advance. Think about that. 2,000 people in the area of Hamilton purchased tickets for an apologetic uh, event. So amazing. Uh, so interesting. Uh, and they purchased in advance. And uh, the truth is it, there was a, it was a, a really a small group, so I don't want to overstate it by any means. But again, there was another group, a small group, that had asked the city of Hamilton to cancel the event for its lack of inclusiveness. I thought that was really interesting. And the truth is, is that the organizers of this apologetic event tried to go um, to this competing event that was across the street run by these protesters, and they wouldn't let them in. <laughs> so they weren't, the, the people who wanted to be inclusive weren't actually being inclusive because they were stopping the Christians from coming into their place. Okay, so that was interesting. It got a bit of a kick out of that. But you see, these days, to say the least, these are unique times. Don't you think so? These are unique times. Uh, recently, I've been reflecting on our society. Uh, for me, I don't feel as though politics and ideologies are always advancing forward. When I listen to the news, when I read the, the paper, whatever have you, I don't believe that things are always moving forward. We see as much hate and dissension today as we did many, many years ago. That's the honest to goodness truth. Uh, I heard someone speak about it recently. I think things are worse today than when I was a kid. That's the honesty, goodness, truth. I think we were better with things with race and equality uh, 20, 30 years ago. But again, these are interesting times. Uh, my belief is that obviously we've never needed God more. We've never needed him more. We've never needed him more today than ever before. That's the honesty, goodness, truth. So let's 
with that in mind, let's review a few of the things that we've been looking at the last few weeks. So we're going to start with two weeks ago. We looked at five things. First off, you guys could throw them up on the screen as I share them. That'd be great. The first is El Shaddai. He's the God of the mountains or the almighty God. The second one is El Elyon, the most high God, the exalted one. The third one is El Olam, God of eternity or God, the everlasting one. El Bereth, God of the covenant. And then finally, El Roy, God who sees me or God of vision. But I love that part, God who sees me. So these words were reflecting of God of the fathers. That's who the Lord is. And then we find the covenant names of God last week. We talked about Yahweh Jireh, the Lord will provide. Yahweh Nisi, the Lord is my banner. Yahweh Makadesh, the Lord sanctifies. Yahweh Shalom, the Lord is peace. And Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. So today we're starting uh, to wrap up these series of messages. And I want us to focus today on this. Uh, I don't want to call, call it a closing thing. I may do one more uh, message on it in a few weeks. But uh, I want to focus on the symbolic names of God today. I'm hoping that they're familiar uh, to, to everyone here. But there may be a couple that are unfamiliar to you. That's all right. We're going to open them up here as we go. You see, our purpose is to hear and use the name, the names of that the Lord has, sorry, let me say that again. Our purpose is to hear and use the names that the Lord has and make them a part of our daily life. When we hear a sermon, uh, a teaching given at church in any context, whether it's a small group, a large group, on a Sunday morning like this, whatever it is, we are fooling ourselves, we are tricking our own spirits if we don't put those words into practice, if we don't put those teachings into practice. And uh, there's lots of reasons why we wouldn't put certain teachings into practice because maybe you think, I don't like that very much, I'm not going to live by that. Or maybe we think, uh, that's not for me, that's for someone else in the room, <laughs> that's for my spouse, all right, whoever it is, all right. But the truth is, if we don't apply what's taught, it's just wasted, it's wasted thoughts. It's wasted air. It's a waste of your time. It's a waste of my time. That's the honest to goodness truth. We need to apply what we're being taught. If we don't implement what we've learned from the Lord, it just becomes wasted theories in our minds. You see, God's plan is that we would read and do his word. That video that we just watched talked about growth, that we're all coming together to grow together, to help one another, to support one another. We're going in one direction together. What we learn from Scripture is the use of figurative language when we look at the symbolic names of God. So let me read this to you. What we need to remember is that the names for God are symbolic, figurative, or illustrative. That's what we can remember from this text. Symbolic, figurative, and illustrative. So let me just jump in and you'll see why uh, that applies uh, today. So the first uh, a symbolic name of God that we're going to look at today is the Ancient of Days. So that would be familiar to so many. Daniel 7 verse 9 says this. As I looked, thrones were placed and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. What an amazing image. That is the Ancient of days. The ancient of days reigns. You see, the picture painted in Scripture is not meant as a literal description, but rather that he lives forever. 
His kingdom is everlasting. So we sometimes we get caught up in the picture that's painted, but we forget the, uh, the meaning behind it, that he lives forever. His kingdom is everlasting. His rule encompasses the expanse of time. There's no time where God does not rule. He rules over time, at the beginning of it to the end of it, over all of time. Other religions tell us their gods are bound within a set time. Isn't that interesting? Other religions are bound within a set time, yet Yahweh is active in time and history. Think about that. He's active in time and history. That's the truth this morning. The Lord gives history meaning and is drawing uh, to conclusion what he started. We read in Psalms chapter 90, verse 2, it says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He's from the beginning to the end, the whole expanse. You see, God speaks prophetically to us in this passage. God also, through his prophet, says in Isaiah 42, verse 9, Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. That's what he's saying. I have this, uh, here's a funny little story. I'm hoping somebody laughs because if you don't, it's just a waste of my time. All right. Christ said that the very hair on each person's head are numbered. He did say that. Some years ago, a German scientist counted the hairs. I'm thinking about the ancient days when they're doing this. Uh, He counted the hairs on different human heads. He found that they vary in number depending seemingly on the color. Thus, there are more on a head with black hair than red, on brown than black, and on blonde than brown. The black-haired woman has about 110 hairs on her head, and a blonde around 140,000, 110,000 versus 140,000. I think I said that wrong. Anyways, here, let's move on. The average woman with a thick head of hair will lose up to 100 hairs a day. Such losses are increased somewhat if the hair is long and becomes entangled in the brush or comb. The average man shaving, listen to this, the, <laughs> I don't know if this is me. The average man shaving every day removes a beard about one 64th of an inch. I don't even know what that actually is in length. This means that between ages 20 and 65, he removes 23 feet of beard. Come on. All right. There's no way I'm removing 23 feet of beard from my face. My hair doesn't grow that fast. All right. It's impossible. All right. Uh, On top of my head. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Here we go. The Ancient of Days. When we look at the Ancient of Days, we find these meanings in the text. First off, I think I got it on the screen here, so take a close look at it. His white clothing symbolizes moral purity. His white clothing symbolizes moral purity. His white hair, the vision of great age. Let me take a uh, a step back to moral purity. There has never been a time, in my opinion, where moral purity is is, uh, more attacked than today. There are so many, young and old, it doesn't seem to matter anymore. We used to be able to blame it on the young people, not true anymore. That uh, people are, are, are so subjective with the moral purity. Let me tell you something. God is not subjective when it comes to moral purity. It's not what you think or what I think. It is what he says it is. And that's the only way. That's the only way. So if you don't like it, take it up with the Lord. That's the way it is. He's the Ancient of Days. He's got a blazing throne. Good luck. All right. Uh, so his white clothing symbolizes moral purity. He's even got wheels on the sucker. It's like a Harley or something, just boom, ready to go down the, the road. Okay, his white clothes, uh, clothing uh, symbolizes moral purity. I'm getting excited, so I can't say the words properly. 
his white hair, the vision of great age. His fiery throne represents awesome power. That's what it represents. The innumerable angels attending to him demonstrate his greatness. Oh, it's so, what a picture. The kingdoms of the earth that stand before him demonstrate his sovereignty. That is the ancient of days. What a picture, what a name for God. What a, what a great uh, illustration, a great, a great viewpoint. So awesome. Our second one today is rock. Let me read it from uh, Deuteronomy 32, verse 18. Now, there's actually uh, an interesting prophetic angle to this passage that I'm going to talk about in a moment. But let's read just the passage uh, first. Uh, Deuteronomy 32, verse 18. You were unmindful of the rock that bore you. And you forgot the God who gave you birth. Let me read it again. You were unmindful of the rock that bore you, and you forgot the God who gave you birth. You see, this passage paints to us a prophetic picture. For me, it resonates even to this day. How many of God's people have grown fat and stoic, have forsaken the Lord, who've scoffed at the Lord? He is the rock of our salvation. That's his name. You see, we've stirred him to jealousy with strange gods. That's what some of us have done. We've, uh, I always uh, 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 find it interesting that people, uh, there's still so many people today that are only interested in money. They're after money. And I would say, I've met some people like this and say, that has become your God. That has become your God. We've stirred him to jealousy with strange gods. We've forsaken him even with gods who've come recently. There's gods that are being crept up. I always uh, get concerned when I see celebrities and uh, athletic superstars, and we turn them into these, these uh, uh, things that are just not even true. They're not even real. There's nothing about them. There's just an image that we're projecting onto someone. We've forsaken the Lord, even with God's who've come recently. We, we put our trust, in, it's amazing who we put our trust in, and we don't look to God. We even sometimes do it with our families. We'll put our, with the love that we have for our parents and our children, we'll even elevate them to a point where it's unhealthy. The truth is that he is the only one to stand before us. We must never mistake who is the rock, who is the base of our salvation. It's God. The Lord is great. He's greatly to be praised. I can't stress enough. We can't downplay the role of God in every one of our lives. He is the rock of our salvation. That's what his name is. Sometimes I'm concerned that I see believers turn their backs on the amazing grace of God in their life. We've turned our backs towards God. When we act as Israel does in this passage, we are turning our backs to God. The, the, the passage, I didn't read the whole thing. It, it's really a sermon unto itself, but it's about Israel. How they've just turned their back to God. They're looking to other gods. They're looking for someone else to provide for them. But we must never, never turn our back on God. We must not forget how God brought us to this place. God has brought us here. He's brought us here together. 
This passage was taken from Deuteronomy. The passage was taken from a song of Moses. The song or poem was given to Israel so they'd remember their commitment to God. you got to remember Israel in Moses' time, they didn't have uh, Bibles they would carry around in their pockets or anything like that. It was all a verbal history that was given. And so through song and poem, it was given to people. But here's the truth. What this teaches us of how they translated, how they remember the scripture, what this teaches us is that commitment leads to blessing. Moses wanted them to commit to what God had spoken to them. So remember this, commitment leads to blessing. Commitment to doing what the Lord has taught us to do through scripture. We need to be committed to what the word tells us to do. Today I want to say it and proclaim it prophetically. Commitment leads to blessing. I believe it with all my heart that commitment leads to blessing. Our third one today is refuge. It comes from Psalm chapter 9, verse 9, and Jeremiah 17, verse 17. We'll start with Psalm. It says this, Psalm 9:9 says this, The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Jeremiah 17, verse 17 says, Be not a terror to me. You are my refuge in the day of disaster. You see, our God is the God of our refuge. He's the God of our refuge. All who know God, find him. All who know him, find him. He is our sure refuge. His plea and cry for us is that we'd find our refuge in God when you feel lost, when you feel forsaken, when you feel betrayed, when you feel alone. His will for us is that we'd find our refuge in him. That's who uh, he's looking for. That's who he, he wants us to find him in that time. You see, refuge in the Hebrew reveals to us that this is an offer. It's a gift to you and I. That's what the word refuge means. It's a security and protection in a high, safe place. When we find refuge in him, we're finding security and protection in a high and safe place. You see, God has his hand on each one of his children. Do you believe that today? That he has his hand on each one of his children? Amen. You see, we must take refuge in him. In a world that at best feels chaotic, we must place our trust and hope in him always. Always, always, always. You see, he is the antidote that we are looking for. I believe it with all my heart when someone comes to me and they are feeling empty and betrayed and alone and they don't know where they fit. They don't know their place in this world. My only response, and I pray that my response always will be, have you found your refuge in the Lord? Because he is the one that fills every one of those needs. I have family members that are lost and are drifting and don't know where to find themselves. The truth is we only find ourselves when we find ourselves in the refuge place of God in his arms, in his abode. And when it says literally, it's it's security. When we find ourselves in him, it's security, protection. It's in a high, safe place. That's where we are. That's where we need to find ourselves. You see, refuge is a gift from the Lord. It's a gift. Our fourth one today is fortress. He is our fortress. Psalm 18, verse 2 says, The Lord is my rock in my fortress. You see, we just talked about refuge. Now we're talking about fortress. I really believe that they fit together. I've separated them, but I really believe 
that they fit together. Again, from Psalm, the Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. That's who he is. I have a story for you, and I'm going to try to speak in German for one, two words, so begin to intercede. Perhaps, <laughs> perhaps the finest of Luther's great hymns, oh boy, is, that's English, Einfeistberg. Okay, if you're German, I'm sorry. It means a mighty fortress. It's actually, I'm kind of German, aren't I? No, I don't know. I forget. Okay. Uh, a mighty fortress. You never know where Snyder's come from. Okay. It's majestic and thunderous proclamation. You guys know the hymn, A Mighty Fortress? Okay. It's majestic and thunderous proclamation of our faith is a singing symbol of the Reformation inspired by Psalm 46. Luther caught up in the hymn the very essence of faith and the fervor and flavor of patriotism which he found in the psalm. Long ago in the 14th century when Sergius the Hermit was leading his countrymen and Tartar hordes were overrunning his land, this psalm was a source of strength and courage. Over and over the godly hermit recited Psalm 46 and then led his revived men in a charge that drove the invaders back and brought ultimate victory. Throughout the ages, men have been stirred by the realization that the eternal God is available to them and that nothing, literally nothing, can overwhelm or destroy a man when he lives in this faith. Nothing can destroy a man when he lives in this faith. The fortress spoken of in Psalms and Nahum speak to the goodness of the Lord. That's what it speaks to, the goodness of the Lord. Here's a quote for you. The God who brings judgment does so as a part of his goodness. Let me say it again. The God who brings judgment does so as a part of his goodness. In our world, those words don't really go together too well, do they? But that's the truth. God... The God who brings judgment does so as a part of his goodness. That's why he is the righteous judge. God is good towards those who fear him. Believers have already tasted that the Lord is good. 1 Peter 2 verse 3. You see, all people are good some of the time. Think about that. All people are good some of the time. But he, the Lord Almighty, is good all of the time. All of the time. I love that. So good. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said this, How good is the God we adore, our faithful, unchangeable friend, whose love is as great as his power and knows neither measure nor end. Let me read it again. How good is the God we adore, our faithful, unchangeable friend. Isn't it amazing that the Lord is unchangeable? whose love is as great as his power and knows neither measure nor end. His love for you has no measure, no end. Always remember that. In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament text, we learn when people come to him, they find that he is the one who cares for them, not just in their, in their lifetime, but also through death and into eternity. God's not just caring for you today. He's caring for you through death and into eternity. That's the truth of the gospel. You see, Jesus said this about his people. Here's a quote from Scripture. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, 
is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. Then here's a quote. Then he probably brought his hands together after saying this in a firm, in a firm clench and said, I and the father are one. John 10 verse 28. That is the ultimate refuge locked into God's hands, safe and secure, never to slip or fall. That's how he holds each and every one of us. That is the fortress, the refuge that we find ourselves in. Truly God is our great fortress. Truly God is our great fortress. Our fifth one today, shield. Genesis 15 verse 1 says, After these things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very, very great. God is protection. He, of course, is our shield. Not only that, that, but the scripture adds that he is our great reward. We can also interpret it this way. Your reward will be very great. Your reward will be very great. I have a story. Hopefully it's uh, interesting. If not, I've got to find a new storybook. There was a man of Chu who sold shields and spears First, he praised his shield, saying, My shields are so strong that nothing can pierce them. Then he praised his spears, saying, My spears are so sharp that nothing can stop them. Then someone said to him, What if one should use your own spear to attack your own shield? To this, the man of Chu was unable to answer. <laughs> God is protection. Our reward is very great. The Lord shields what comes, what could come against us. He is our protection. You need no other protection. I've heard countless stories. Um, even my, fr uh, my, my friends are uh, uh, missionaries in Uganda, and they were texting me this week, and I'm praying for safety for them and on a number of levels. And there's a, a couple I met that are very well known for their uh, missions work in Uganda. And the stories that they would tell of, of militia and government trying to break into their home, into their property, to take their life. And there's countless missionaries that can share the same story. But when we, that sort of thing happens, it becomes so real. The Lord shields what could come against us. He is our protection and our uh, safe town of Espanola in the middle of Ontario in this great country of Canada, the truth is we don't need as much protection. <laughs> Maybe from bears and coyotes and stuff like that, but not from crazy maniacs unless, well, we'll just leave it at that. But the truth is, is that it's different, but still the truth remains the same. The Lord shields what could come against us. He is our protection. Some of the fish I saw people with this summer are gigantic they could eat some people. All right. I'm scared of them now. Uh, the sixth one is the sun, S-U-N. Psalm 8411 is our text here. It says, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. Interesting how all these names follow one to the other. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. God is the source of light and life. That's where it comes from. You see, God's plan is that not one thing would be withheld from us. His plan is righteous and only has the best plan 
for each of us. The Lord, though, asks of us, his command to us is that we would walk uprightly. With our heads held high, you can always walk with your head held high when you have nothing to be ashamed of. That's when you can walk with your head held high. Have you ever experienced leaving a situation knowing that everything may not be okay, but you've done right by the Lord? You've done right by the Lord. God has his hand on you. He brings light into dark places and life into what's being dead. That's what you and I are walking with inside of us each day. Light and life. This verse in Psalms reminds us that as we worship him, he gives grace and glory and every good thing he gives to his children. So finally, we come to the conclusion today, our seventh one, refiner. I, I, I'm so glad this is where we're stopping today. It comes from Malachi chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. God is purifier. That's who he is. Malachi verse three, in, uh, chapter 3, verse 2 and 3 says this. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire. And like fuller's soap, he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Such a rich, rich verse. I love this last point. As I was preparing for uh, this this morning, I was thinking about how, how I am the last person uh, who should be talking about refining metals because I have no sweet clue of anything about it. In, uh, I'm sure all of you would know more about refining metals than me, but I don't know a lot. But what I do know is that this imagery that we've just read in the scripture is fantastic. It draws us so close to him. He is the refiner. I love the image of the Lord beholding all of us today, refining us as we worship, as we read the scripture, as we open the word together. He is making all things new. He's refinishing what's being broken. It truly is a glorious picture. So let's close here. Today, in the closing moments, I want us to consider the scripture again. I'm going to read it to you from Malachi. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? I always remind myself, who am I to think that I could ever stand before the Lord? I could never. For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. They will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. None of us can endure the day of his coming or stand when he appears. That's the truth. That's why he needs to refine us today. Would you